I looked up here shortly before the last hymn that we sang. I realized there was no pulpit out here. So I was out there scrambling around. If you ever try to drag a pulpit over the top of a tuba, you know that it's not an easy thing. You know, when you are the preacher and your elders start hiding your pulpit on Sunday mornings, <laughs> that does not bode well. So hopefully I do a better job today and they'll give me my pulpit back next week. Did you know that since 2000, your church has been the central emergency shelter for our city in this region? Did you know that? If you didn't know that, it's worth knowing. Um, we are set up in cooperation with a number of organizations throughout the, the, the city and the county to accommodate 100 people if they need cots in a time of a catastrophe or need. Uh, uh, they, we provide cots, we provide a, a warm meal, we provide a, a hot shower, and, uh, and, and that's great. I'm glad that we serve our city in that way. The problem is we, uh, we've never had an emergency backup sh uh, power system. Uh, turns out that the power goes out around here sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed. I've known that. I noticed that. And, uh, and particularly, I suspect, in times of dire and catastrophic need, I bet the power would be an issue. So uh, the good news is that the Monday after Easter, we came together to dedicate a brand new 125 kilowatt generator uh, that will take care of that problem. You can see it in the back if you want to take a look down back the by the dumpsters, I call it the dung gate. Uh, you can go back there and take a, take a look back there, but it is pretty impressive. And uh, this is really the, the dream of one of the pillars of our church. Don Lee uh, has dreamt of this and been working on this for years and years and years. And he, along with Dan Griswold, are really the two primary drivers who made this possible. And uh, it was an expensive deal, and our, our deacons and our uh, session came together, and we pooled some funds. We provided a $50,000 lead gift uh, that was matched by the Puget Sound Ener Energy Foundation. And then other funds were added by our city and by the Rotary Club and by some private uh, citizens to, to make this possible. It was a great day, and, uh, and it's a, a noteworthy event. On the Monday after Easter... They scheduled the celebration the Monday after Easter. I'm in the tomb the Monday after Easter. There wasn't a lot of thinking that went into that. And I got to admit, I was kind of resenting the fact that I was going to have to climb out of that tomb earlier than usual to come back for this dedication. But Judson Taylor, our communications director, and my assistant, Kathy Berry, said, you got to do it. you got to do it. You can't hand this one off. you got to do it. And, uh, and I'm so glad I did. I showed up there, about 60 people, many uh, representatives uh, from across the county that were there, three uh, city council members who told me they had never set foot in the doors of our church were there. And they were there to allow me uh, to hear me say that this emergency shelter and our contribution to this generator is just one of the ways that we want to serve the citizens of our community, regardless of religion, race, background, or need. That is who we are and, and that we want to be there. And, it, and I added, it does strike me that the, uh, that the word shelter would be a great job description for a church, don't you think? I mean, where else are you going to want to come when you're in a time of need or catastrophe or, or danger? Where else should you want to come than your church? And so I'm glad we are here to serve us in this way. But you need to know this. This generator, as massive as it is, and it's about half the size of Rhode Island, so it's hard for me to believe that it's not big enough. But it actually is not large enough to power up the entire campus. 
Uh, it, will count, it will fire up the, uh, the gymnasium downstairs, the downstairs, the old uh, kitchen, and, and, and it will serve some of the other areas of, of, our, of our church. But it, it, uh, it is not large enough. I mean, it's, it's big enough so that, it will, so that if there's a catastrophe, a citizen can show up here and know that there will be a place of safety and warmth and protection for them, but it is not large enough uh, to, uh, to fire up the whole place. In other words, this generation doesn't really benefit us too much. But we didn't do this to our benefit. We did this to care for the citizens of our community beyond our walls. And it strikes me that this is a timely and an apt illustration of the initiative that we are launching today. We are calling this Beyond These Walls, making disciples that make history. Would you say Beyond These Walls? Would you say, making disciples that make history? That is the journey that we begin today, and I am, I'm, glad, I'm always glad you're here. I'm really glad that you're here for this morning, because I view this as kind of those epic watershed moments in the life of our church. When you hear these words, beyond these walls, what do you think we're talking about? These walls, right, the walls of our campus, the walls on the other end that were built 55 years ago when we founded our church, or the walls on this end of the campus that were built uh, starting about 30 years ago. And, and you've got to admit, they're pretty magnificent walls. I mean, it's a wonderful campus that the Lord has given to us. 37 and a half acres, 114,000 feet under cover. Uh, and the Lord has used this in a really a very powerful way. Um, I asked Dan to, uh, to tell us uh, a little bit about the use patterns of it over the last year. So he pulled up our records and we found out. You, you will never guess the number of bookings, separate bookings for this room, that room, the other room, both for inside and outside use. You will never guess the number that we booked in this last year. Over 17,600 bookings. That's astounding, isn't it? Inside and outside use of, of this facility. All you got to do, though, is come some weeknight, right, and try to par find a parking place. Uh, and to be reminded of, of this fact that the Lord has used this, and this, this building, this campus that we built with the Lord's guidance, uh, that it has been a gift to both to us and to our community, and it's something that's worth, I think, worth celebrating. <clears throat> but, but here's the deal. We have never viewed these walls as a citadel. You know what I mean? We've never viewed this as a, as a castle, as a keep behind which we're going to hide and in which we're going to hunker down. We have always viewed this as a, as a base camp, a place where broken people, worn out people, discouraged people, anxious people can come and can hear God's word and be refreshed by the fellowship of the community and be renewed and trained and restored and then sent back out on mission. That has always been our purpose as a, an organization, as a church, as a campus. And, and so this year, as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of the building of our gymnasium and our education center, and as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of this building, how many were here when we opened this building? Can you believe it? 20 years ago. As we celebrate these epic moments, it's time for us to look ahead to the next 5 to 10 years in our life as a church. It's great to look back, it's fun, and it's worth remembering, but Always we are looking ahead, and so we look ahead. And the vision that I, and I would say our elders also, because we have, we have prayed over this, that we share for Chapel Hill's future can be summed up, I think, in these words, beyond these walls. Say it one more time. Beyond 
And you're going to hear these words a lot in the coming weeks. And I just realized that I need my book. Find my, give me a book, please, one of the journeys, guides. Because I'm going to make a big point later on. I won't be able to have my prop. So, um, so we're going to turn this morning to the book of uh, Acts to, uh, to talk about this and to launch our, our, uh, our initiative, the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, Acts chapter 2, if you recall, is, uh, here's, here's the context for it. Jesus has been raised from the dead. We celebrated that two weeks ago. And Jesus kind of flitted all over the place for about 40 days after he was resurrected. He appeared up in Galilee, appeared in Jerusalem, and uh, he, he, uh, he appeared to Thomas and convinced him that he really had risen. He, uh, he appeared to Peter and made things right, reconciled, restored with him on the shore of Galilee, remember? He even appeared to 500 people, we are told, by by the writer of Acts, in, uh, or by Paul in 1 Corinthians. So he was all over the place. Uh, but finally, he gathered his, uh, his gang on the top of Mount of Olives, and, uh, and with a few final goodbyes, he ascended back into, uh, into heaven to be with the Father. But before he left, he said, now I've got something for you to do. This is the thing you are to do, remember? He said, I want you to go back down there to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. And so they did as he told them. They went down and they gathered together in a, in a room. Perhaps it was the upper room that they had shared that meal in. We don't know. And they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited some more. And it turns out about 10 days they shared vigil together in that room. And finally the day of Pentecost came, Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit, the promise of Jesus was fulfilled. And that Spirit came upon those people. And it was a spectacular moment in that room. We are told that flames as of fire uh, danced upon the head of every person gathered there. And that the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in tongues, in languages they had never heard before. And Peter, the guy who 50 days earlier had denied that he even knew Jesus, denied it three times, Peter stood up and he preached the greatest sermon of his life to the people who have been gathered from around the world for Pentecost. And in that day we are told that 3,000 people believed and were baptized. In one day, 3,000 people believed and were baptized. It's a, a spectacular moment. The people who had been waiting behind the walls of that upper room, as it turns out, were, were released with power, and the world would never be the same. So uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he likes to give us snapshots of the church as it's in its early days, and one of those snapshots occurs right after Peter preaches that, uh, that evangelistic sermon where 3,000 people are saved. And I want to I share that with you, that passage from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42. You want to see what the church should look like? Here's Luke's description of that. And they devote, ah, before I do, count the number of times the word and appears in this reading, would you? I think you'll find it interesting. Here we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with 
glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, just as you came upon your church thousands of years ago, come upon us anew with power, with conviction, with courage, with the willingness to reach beyond the safety of our walls and into a community that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. We ask it in his matchless name. Amen. How many amens, or how many ands did you count? <laughs> You're not very helpful. <laughs> I think there's 14, but someone counted 16, so I thought 14. Anyway, how many think I'm right? <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of ands. I mean, when Luke begins to pre, you know, when Luke's description, really, it's like a run-on sentence. It's almost breathless, you know? We, we read it, uh, it, and we're just so used to it, but really, and this, and this. I mean, in fact, every single English verse begins with the word and in this text. Did you know this is? And, 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 and they did this, and they did that, and they did this, and they did that. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And they were generous and they were worshipful and they were out in the community and they were at the temple, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just, it's a run-on sentence of, of Luke's enthusiasm. And, and, and we discover that when the Holy Spirit gets hold of people, that he creates in them a community that wants to learn about Jesus, that wants to become worshipful, wants to become generous, wants to care for one another, wants to love the community around them wants to be together in the celebration of God and live reverent and awe-filled lives. These people, when they gathered up there in that room, they didn't decide this is the way we're going to be. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets hold of a church. And it still is, by the way. If these qualities are missing in our church in any way, if these qualities are missing in your life in any way, it means then that you've got to get a little bit more of the Holy Spirit in you, that that part of your life has to be taken over and imbued with his power, with his grace, his love, his, his generosity, his courage. So this is the description of what we see taking place. Here's what is essential for us to understand this morning with this text. The early Christians did not make history because of what took place behind the walls of that upper room. In other words, this spectacular spiritual experience where flames of fire dancing on their heads. I mean, talk about a high spiritual moment, a mountaintop kind of experience. But they, they, didn't, they didn't make history because they steeped in the wonder of that moment and soaked it all up. The early Christian church made history when they stepped out from the walls of Pentecost and out into the world and began to put into use, into work, the gifts, the empowerment that the Holy Spirit had poured on them that day. They were not just behind the walls. They were out in their community. So we read that they worshipped in their homes. Yes, they did. But they also, we are told, every day worshipped in the temple. We are told that they, uh, that they sold some of their belongings. Not all of them, because they still had homes, we are told, in which they worshipped. But they sold some of their belongings, and they distributed the proceeds among themselves. Bah, but we are also told to any who had need. And so that generosity went out beyond their walls. We are told that they devoted themselves to private study and to worship within the confines of those walls. Yes, but they also preached in public. And we are told that thousands of people came to know Christ 
and were drawn into the church. They enjoyed fellowship with each other as we do the intimacy of our small groups and our communities. But we read also an astounding litany, uh, li- uh, statement at the end of that lit- litany. And they found favor with all the people. Not just their little clique, not just their church. They found favor with all of the people. The Jews who were walking around outside, the Romans who had executed the very Lord that they now worshipped, even they, we are led to believe, found favor with these people, this Christian community that had somehow made such an impact because of the coming of this Holy Spirit upon them. Ultimately, As the story of Acts unfolds, they move beyond the walls of that upper room, beyond the walls of Pentecost, beyond the walls of Jerusalem, and out into the world to share with all the life, the transformation, the hope that they had found in Jesus Christ. And my point in sharing this is simply that history-making disciples start behind the walls of the church. There needs to be a place where we learn about Jesus, where we learn to care for each other, where we learn to care for the world, where we learn to comfort and love. We, there needs to be a place for that. But it is discipleship, disciples only kick a dent in history when having learned those things, we move beyond our walls and into our community and into our world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I believe we are at a watershed moment in that regard in our life as a church. This is a moment when we're going to decide, okay, what will we be? We know what we have been. What will we be? Who do we want to be going forward. And there have been several of these watershed moments in our past. 55 years ago, 96 charter members came up here and bought a chunk of land on the top of this hill out in the boonies, and they came on the weekends, and those who retired came during the day, of the, during the week, and cleared the land. And they prepared for the construction of what we know as our chapel now, which was for them a, a monumental sanctuary that seated 250 people. We didn't need that much land. They didn't need that big of a church. But in a very courageous act, they decided that this was what God was calling them to do. It was a watershed moment. 25 years later, when we had outgrown that chapel, and we, we really needed more space, we decided, first of all, that we were going to build a gymnasium. Because at that time, there was not a place for children to play outside of the schools. There was not a place for parents to come and have a pickup game of basketball or volleyball or pickleball or just to hang out with their kids. Not anywhere in this community was such a place. And so Chapel Hill said, we're going to defer our worshiping thing for a second, and we're going to build what this community needs, a community gathering place where we can come together with our kids and our families and care for them. And because we had deferred the building of our sanctuary, we worshipped in that space. For three years, on squeaky chairs, we worshipped in that gym. How many were there for the squeaky chair era? It was a sweet time, wasn't it? It was a sweet time. We look back on that time fondly because we knew we had, for, we had forsaken our own needs for a moment to serve the church, the, the greater community. And then when the day finally came that we were able to to build a sanctuary, we took the audacious and courageous watershed step of building something twice as big as the community of worshipers that we had. We we had about 800 people. We built a sanctuary that would seat 1,500 people. Again, because we wanted to offer to our community a gift of a space where symphonies, where baccalaureates, where plays, 
where the memorial services of dignitaries could be held and everyone would have a seat. There was no place like this, no gathering place like this in all the the community. And by the way, there still is no gathering place like this in all of our community. We stepped up at that watershed moment and said, this is who God is calling us to be. Not just for ourselves, it's more than we need, more than we can afford right now, but for the sake of the community, we'll step out and we will do this as a gift to our gig harbor. And now we are at a new watershed moment. It's a new opportunity for us to choose to be generous. Yes, it's a new opportunity for us to give, and that's what I'm going to be asking you to consider. But I'll tell you up front, as you are bracing yourself and your hand is going to your wallet to protect it, I see you out there. I see the movement. Hunkering down. The sphincter muscles are tightening up. I mean, I, I hear it up here. I hear the movement of the muscles here. But I'm just going to tell you up front that this is, in some ways, it's the oddest giving initiative that we have ever launched. Because the fact is, my sweetheart church, we don't need one more thing as a church. We have enough. We have more than enough So as a result of this initiative, we're not going to build another building. We're not going to buy another chunk of land. We're not going to launch another great internal initiative within the church. No, I'm I'm not going to ask you to consider a sacrificial gift to Chapel Hill in order for us to add to our campus or build onto these walls. We believe the time has come to give ourselves away to our community as we have never done before, to love Gig Harbor as we've never done before. There is no church in Gig Harbor that has been more blessed than this church, Chapel Hill, this sweetheart church. Millions of dollars, over the year, 20 million invested just in our facilities. Millions of dollars given to us. I dare say millions of man hours when you ended up have been poured into the ministries of this church. And certainly thousands upon thousands of families who have been entrusted to our spiritual care. There is no church in all of Gig Harbor that has received more kindness and generosity and frankly more bounty and more opportunity than has our church. Now, beloved, it is our turn to give back as we've never given before. And the good news is that we have identified a phenomenal amount of money that we could do this with. About $600,000 on an annual basis that we have identified that we could pour into our community, that we could invest into ministries that are floundering and that could use a burst of encouragement. $600,000, think of that. Isn't that exciting? There's one teensy little hiccup. Right now, that $600,000 is what's going to service our $5 million of remaining debt on this building. That's what it costs every year to service our debt, about $600,000. But if we could be heroically generous, in the same way we read of the early apostles who were selling some of their possessions, and you're not going to do this if you're not willing to sacrifice something. I just say that right out there. This isn't going to be the extra change in your piggy bank kind of a thing. But if we could be heroically generous as the, as the disciples were in that Acts chapter 2 passage, if we could sacrifice over three years and we could eliminate that 
remainder of that debt, the last vestige of that debt, it would free up $600,000 per year, every year, forever. And not for ourselves. Again, I say it. We have enough. But for us to begin to pour into serving and caring for and loving Gig Harbor as we never have done before. That's the vision. We're calling it Beyond These Walls, Making Disciples That Make History. And for the next few um, weeks, I want to ask you to join me in that journey. I want you to buckle up now uh, because this is what we're asking. I'm not asking for a commitment. I'm not passing out pledge cards. Uh, I'm asking you to commit to a journey together with us as a church where whatever you, however fearful this might make you, I'm just saying be brave and don't hide and come faithfully and participate with us in this journey. And here over these coming weeks is the question we are going to ask. What it, would it mean for Chapel Hill, which already has so much to give itself away as never before? To invest in our community as never before. To move beyond these walls as never before. In such a way that the most resolute pagan in our community who would never darken our doors, who who would say, I don't believe a thing those people on that hill believe, but I would weep for Gig Harbor if Chapel Hill were not here. That's the kind of influence I want us to have in our community, the language of they found favor with all the people. All the people? Yeah, even the pagans who can't help but look up here and say, you know what? They make a difference. We would be sad if Chapel Hill were not here. So we have two goals for this initiative. Here's goal number one. 100% participation. Would you please say that? Once again. (laughs) I heard it. 100% participation. My prayer is that every person who calls Chapel Hill home will commit sacrificially to this cause. For some, sacrifice is going to mean a six-figure gift, maybe a seven-figure gift. That would be spectacular. And for others who have less resources, for them, a sacrificial gift might be a few hundred dollars over three years. But But my prayer is that we will not depend on somebody else, that we will look not to the person left or right of us, but we'll say, this is part of my responsibility, regardless of the the size of my my gift, that I want to be a part of this. I want to participate. In fact, if someone were to walk in tomorrow and hand me a check for $5 million, we would still complete this journey. We'd take the check... So if you're inclined, I'll pause right now and we'll have a time of prayer as you... So we'll take the check, but we are still going to complete the journey because every one of us needs to feel like we are a part of setting this church free to move beyond our walls. And when I ask you to do this and to sacrifice, which is what I'm asking you to do, not just a a gift out of your extra, but to sacrifice, I want you to know that, uh, that your pastor and his wife are committed to doing this before you were committed to it. We've obviously known about this for for months and even years. We've been praying about this moment. And you need to hear me say that Cindy and I have been led by the Lord to make a commitment that will be by far the largest gift we've ever made to our church. By far. And, uh, and we have always tithed, always given 10, 10% or more. We have always supported every capital campaign that we have ever done. But we believe as much for the future of this church as we do the glorious past of which I've been a part for 30 years. 
And we are all in. And we want to invite you to be all in with us. I hope you will consider that. So 100% participation. And of course, the other goal is that we will, on June 17th and 18th, Bluegrass Weekend, Father's Day, when we announce the results, I hope that we'll also be able to announce announce not only 100% participation, but that we have received pledge commitments of $5 million over three years. And that has to be over and above your giving. If all you're doing is moving it from one pocket to the other, that doesn't help us a bit, so forget about that. But above and beyond giving, and, and every dime of that $5 million that is pledged is going to go to eliminate the remainder of our debt. Every time we get an extra $500,000, we're going to bring a big check on that Sunday, and the next day we're going to go down and pay it down. And that will be our journey, and I hope that by the end of three years it will be done. Let me say this. I will never regret that we took out a mortgage. I'm grateful because the banks helped us to build a facility that has served this community well, I think, and has certainly served us well. So I am grateful to the banks, but I think we've paid them enough, don't you? I think we've paid them enough. And so in three years, I hope that we're going to make that last payment, and we're going we're to burn that mortgage, and it'll drive Dan crazy because there'll be smoke in the building, and I don't know what will happen. Well, we're going to do it. We're going to burn that mortgage. But more than anything, we're going to free up $600,000 every year in perpetuity to pour into our community as never before, to move beyond our walls as never before, to love the people of Gig Harbor and our, community, and our region as never before. That's our vision. I want to share with you a roadmap for that journey. This is called a journey guide. Isn't that clever? This is our journey guide. And, uh, and you're going to receive one of these as you walk out the door today. Every single one of you, not one per family, because we want you to be using this for your personal devotional time. Uh, we're, we're going to be using this all of the coming weeks through this journey. So I want you to take it. I want you to make it a constant companion. Staple it to your wrist or something. Keep it with you at all times. Um, you might want to take a look at pages 8 through 10. 8 through 10 when you get, first get them because that will outline in a little more detail what I'm going to be spelling out for you in the weeks to come of how we think we can leverage $600,000 to make a difference. And essentially it comes down to three things. We're going to multiply life groups, we're going to release leaders, and we're going to love Gig Harbor. These are the three things. And I'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come, but I'll give you a hint. What would it look like if we quadrupled the number of professions of adult faith and adult baptisms every year? What would that look like? What would it look like for us to be a model of training for pastoral leaders and mission leaders uh, that is looked upon by the denomination as a standard and that sends out these leaders because we can't absorb them all, sends them out into the greater church and into the world? What would that look like? What would it look like if we invested our people and our money into strategic partnerships with the likes of the Rescue Mission and the YMCA and the Food Bank and Women, Infant and Children, the WIC program, all groups that have approached us for partnerships. What would it look like if we poured our people and our wealth into those organizations? It would change the landscape of Gig Harbor. And I'm going to share what that will look like over the coming weeks as we, uh, as we flesh this out. But that's, you, this will give you a jump start. Each week in these coming weeks, we're going to journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to point out touchstones, uh, examples of what Jesus did to take his raw green recruits and turn them into the kind of disciples that made history. 
So each week we're going to be looking at a piece of that. And you're going to be, and I want you to bring these with you to, to church. You're going to take notes because every word, it will be like honey. You won't want to miss one of my words. So you bring these, write note, take down notes. And then I'm going to ask you, to life groups, listen, would you do me a favor? Set aside whatever your curriculum is for a moment. It won't kill you. Take this, join with your whole church in participating in this journey as life groups. Would you please, I'm asking you. And then you're also going to find a place, and because there's the guides in there for your life groups. And then there's a place for home dialogue. I urge you, it has to happen, that you go home, you talk with your spouse, you talk with your children. There will be guides and, and things to do, experiences that you can share to help you along in this journey. So this is going to be your compass for our journey together, and I want you to use it. I want you to bring it to church. I want you to sleep with it under your pillow. And I pray that in a few weeks it will be tattered because it has received so much use. Over the last few weeks, I've had the chance to speak to some of you in smaller settings, groups of leaders and influencers, and there was kind of two things that were going on. I was sharing uh, more detail of this vision than I'm frankly going to be able to share even in the Sunday morning services, so um, I wanted to share as much detail as I could with these vision nights, the, but this, this group that were gathered also for, were those who not only want to uh, find out more about it, but who were ready to do, be advanced c commitment folks. In other words, they're willing to make an early pledge. So, uh, we're all going to make our uh, church-wide pledge June 3rd and 4th. We're asking some who would be willing to, to, to make an advanced commitment so that it will provide some momentum and encouragement to us when we get ready to make that commitment. By the way, if you want to come to one of those, there's only two left. One is tonight at 6.30 in the gathering place, and one is Wednesday night, 6.30. We're actually even serving some ice cream. Um, that I know wouldn't be the reason you'd want to come, but if you want to come and hear me share at a level of detail, you won't get any other place. And if you're willing to, to consider being a part of that early commitment team, then you're welcome. Come along tonight, 6.30 or Wednesday, 6.30. Anyhow, that night we were gathered together, and a woman who had come grabbed one of our leaders after the gathering, after the vision night, and she said, you know... I came to this because I felt like I had to since I'm a member. But I was not inclined to give anything to whatever strategy you were going to come up with, whatever the church might need more money for. But she went on to say, now I'm on my way home to talk to my husband and tell him how wrong I was. How we need to figure out a way to generously support the instinct of this church to move beyond itself and out into the community as we never have before. That's a change of heart, isn't it? And maybe a change of heart that some of you would need to have as well. One of our leaders is Leonard Green, and he shared what, for me, were some very pro profound words at the, at the end of our time together. Here's what Leonard said. When we pay off that $5 million debt, there is no other entity, not the city, not the county, not Rotary, not Kiwanis, not the Chamber of Commerce. In fact, not in even any other church, no other entity that will be able to do what we will be able to do, which is invest over a half a million dollars every year into this community and every one of those dollars going to the work of the kingdom of God. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't have said it better. So you see what I mean when I say it's kind of a weird giving initiative? At the end of the day, we're not going to cut a ribbon. We're not going to stick a shovel in the dirt. At the end of the day, we're going to send us out into our community to do good for the sake of Christ. And if you can't get excited 
about that kind of selfless vision that is not for our gain, not for our glory, but for the love of Christ and for the sake of the city over which we stand watch, then I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to help you. But the Holy Spirit does. So, (laughs) take your journal, go home, join us in a, a journey of prayer and discernment. Ask the Lord what sacrifice looks like for you. And then join us in these coming weeks as we celebrate the goodness of God and look towards that June 17th, June 18th, bluegrass celebration uh, when we'll announce 100% participation and enough money raised to pay this debt off and turn us loose as we never have before in our community. That's the vision. I hope you can get excited about that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for a church full of people who have had vision, who have taken risk, who have stretched themselves, who have reached out and done things that they could not have done on their own, who had to trust that there would be other generations to follow. And God, those prayers, those hopes, those dreams have not been disappointed as generation by generation. Your people have risen up and taken the challenge. Now God is a moment for us, an epic watershed moment for us as a church when we are able to say, we have so much, we have enough. Now, how can we give ourselves away as never before? Make us generous, Lord. Make us generous. Make, give us the courage to take the risk, to, to fill out a pledge card that makes our hands shake a little bit as it will mine. God, may we trust you with our future, and we thank you for what you're going to do because of that. For Christ's sake, amen.